6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Dr. Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Dr. Missler completes his teaching on the book of 2 Kings, chapters 8 through 10. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish, and I will cut off from Ahab him that pisseth against the wall, and him that is shut up and left in Israel. I apologize for the language, but that's what it says, and what it means is the men. This is a way of saying the male line, the line that carries the legal titles. <laughs> so it's a rather colorful way of expressing it. I forgot to check what some of the modern translations do with that. They may try to hide the Hebrew because it's probably offensive to some people, but it's pretty graphic, pretty earthy, pretty straightforward. Anyway, uh, and, and continues, says, I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah. And the dogs shall eat Jezebel in the portion of Jezreel, and there shall be none to bury her. Remember that thing, because we're going to come in the next session some background there. And then what did the prophet do after delivering his message? <laughs> he opened the door and he split. <laughs> he got out of there. Okay, verse 10. Then Jehu came forth to the servants of his Lord. See, this is all done in private. So he comes out, and the servants are curious. What's, what's, what's all going on here? And one said to him, Is all well? Wherefore came this mad fellow to thee? <laughs> so they recognized him as a prophet. They called him a madman. By the way, that same word is used of Jehu's driving. You're going to discover that Jehu's characteristic is that he is a California driver. Okay. With his chariots and things. But anyway, and he said unto them, Ye know the man and his communication. See, Jehu's trying to dismiss this. He doesn't want to get into it with these guys. But they won't let go. They said, It is false. Tell us now. He said, Thus and thus spake to me, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I have anointed thee king over all Israel. So reluctantly, Jehu admits to him what this young prophet had had uh, anointed him for. And what they immediately do, hey, that's a great idea. They hasted, took every man his garment, and put it under him uh, on the top of the stairs, and they blew the trumpet, saying, Jehu is king. It's a little premature, by the way. They've got a king. That's going to have to be dealt with. But as far as they're concerned, they got their man here. So Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, son of Nimshi, the son of Nimshi, so don't confuse him with the Jehoshaphat of the second kingdom, which is earlier. Uh, the, the, so the Jehu conspired against Joram, Jehoram. Now Joram ke- had kept Ramoth Gilead, he and all Israel, because of Haziel, the king of Syria. So all these, this is a customary response for this sort of thing. But, uh, well, let's go on to verse 15. But King Joram was returned to be healed in Jezreel of the wounds which the Syrians had given him when he fought with Haziel, the king of Syria. Remember, we picked that up a few years ago. And Jehu said, If it be your minds, then let none go forth nor escape out of the city to go and tell it in Jezreel. So Jehu rode in a chariot and went to Jezreel, for Joram lay there. And Ahaziah, the king of Judah, was come down to see Joram. So we got this king from the south visiting and there stood a watchman in the tower in Jezreel. And he spied the company of Jehu as he came. And he said, I see a company. In other words, he saw a cloud of dust is what he probably saw. 
And Joram said, take a horseman and send to meet them. And let them say, is it peace? So they assume that this they're bringing some kind of war news here. So they want to check it out. So they went one on horseback to meet him and said, thus saith the king, is it peace? Now Jehu doesn't want to tip his hand yet. See, they don't know what's going on here. All that you've read in the last few verses is private among his loyalists. Thus saith the king, is at peace? And Jehu said, What hast thou to do with peace? Turn thee behind me. He's saying it sort of the way we'd say, Don't sweat it. It's not important. I mean, you know, he's trying to, he's trying to dismiss it. And the watchman told, saying, The messenger came to them, but he cometh not again. In other words, this messenger then doesn't return. So they sent out a second one. Second messenger out on horseback, which came to them and said, Thus saith the king is at peace. And Jehu answered, What hast thou to do with peace? Turn thee behind me. And the watchman told, saying, He came even unto them and cometh not again. And the driving is like the driving of Jehu, the son of Nimshi. He drive. So they recognized, as they're getting closer, that his style of handling the chariot was, it's obviously Jehu. No one rides like that, you know. So, <laughs> you've known people like that, right? Anyway, the driving of Jehu, the son of Nimshi, for he driveth furiously. Let's see, I think I had some interesting insights about the name furious. Yes, furiously. Shegeon. The word actually is madness, madness, madman. It's the same word that he used the prophet earlier. Uh, he's very, very furious. He's, he's driving like a crazy man. And, uh, and, uh, anyway, okay, let's move on to verse 21. And Joram said, make ready. And his chariot was made ready. And Joram the king of Israel and Ahaziah the king of Judah went out, each in his chariot, and they went out against Jehu and met him in the portion of Naboth the Jezreelite. Now the plot's getting more interesting here. Jehoram is the guy that Jehu is really after, but he's got a visitor from this other kingdom. Ahaziah, the other king, is visiting. Could be a big mistake. But in any case, um, where do they happen to coincide a place called a vineyard of Naboth. That ring a bell? Do you see? Do you see? Do you see God's fingerprints behind this? It came to pass when Joram saw Jehu. He said, "Is it peace, Jehu?" <laughs> and he answered, "What peace, so long as the whoredoms of thy mother Jezebel and her witchcrafts are so many?" Uh oh. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> so Jehu drops any pretense here, and suddenly makes it quite clear that he is showing up as an adversary, because he's insulting, obviously, um, <laughs> Jehoram's mother and father, etc. So, um, see, uh, he, hadn't, he had not expected any, rebell- uh, uh, any rebellion. And it's fascinating that they, they meet on the very plot of ground that Parisian to to, to, uh, to Naboth. Of course, there was no inkling of Jehu's plans, and so he's showing up as a Adversary. It's interesting that it was Jezebel's idolatry and witchcraft that ruined Israel's peace with God, for which Jehu was settling himself against her son. So he says, you know, is it peace? So he's answering that question in much broader terms than he anticipated. It's the peace with God that was shred by his mother Jezebel that he's there to avenge. That's basically what's emerging here. Okay, verse 23, And Jerome turned his hands, in other words, he tried to turn his chariot around and fled, and said to Ahaziah, There is treachery, O Ahaziah. No kidding. And Jehu drew a bow with his full strength, and he smote Jehoram between his arms, and the arrow went out at his heart, and he sunk down in his chariot. So he's history. 
Um, kind of interesting because uh, he apparently was taken by surprise. He didn't have any armor on. At least it doesn't seem to be that way. And, and so Jehu easily shot him uh, with a fatal arrow. And Jehu is a, Jehu is a tough guy. Let's move on verse 25. And then said Jehu to Bidkar, his captain, take up and cast him in the portion of the field of Naboth the Jezreelite. For remember how that when I and thou rode together after Ahab his father, the Lord laid this burden upon him. Surely I have seen yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his sons. Ah, by the way, here's an insight that we did not get back in First Kings. See, Jezebel not only had Naboth slandered and then killed, executed like an inquisition, he killed, she killed all his sons. Doesn't say it there, but it's revealed here. Saith the Lord, and I will requite thee in this plat, saith the Lord. Now therefore take and cast him into the plat of ground according to the word of the Lord. And when Ahaziah, the king of Judah, saw this, now he's, he's a visitor. Hey guys, I'm from Judah. <laughs> when he saw this, he fled by the way of the garden house, and Jehu followed after him and said, Smite him also in the chariot. And they did so at the going up of Gur, which is by Iblim, and he fled to Megiddo and died there. And his servants carried him in a chariot to Jerusalem and buried him in a sepulcher with his father David. So Ahaziah, the king of Judah, is a casualty in this whole situation. Now, by the way, if you compare uh, 2 Kings 9 and Second uh, Chronicles 22, they will sound contradictory, but they can be reconciled. They can be harmonized. See, evidently Ahaziah fled from Jezreel south by the way of Beth-Hagan. Jehu and his men pursued him and wounded him near Iblim. And apparently Ahaziah reached Samaria where he hid for some time, according to Second Chronicles 22, verse 9. And Jehu's men sought him, found him, brought him to Jehu, probably in Jezreel. Jehu may have wounded them there again. He escaped and fled to Megiddo, but then finally died. So, so the point is the two, the two accounts sound contradictory. They can be reconciled. And that's just a small point. Just if you want to get into it, you can. Anyway, verse 28, and his, uh, oh yeah, his, his, his servants carried him in the chariot to Jerusalem, buried him there in a sepulcher with his father in the city of David. Verse 29, And in the eleventh year of Joram, the son of Ahab, began Ahaziah to reign over Judah. So now we have an Ahaziah in, the, in, 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 uh, in Judah. And when Jehu was come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it. She painted her face and, and uh, tired her head, her head. Teared, I guess. Teared her head. Is that the girl? You have to help me out there. And looked out at a window. Here, here she is. Her adversary is coming to kill her. So she freshens up. Makes sure her lipstick's on, got her makeup all set. She's so you can. She's not cool. She's just arrogant because she knows what's coming. I think. And as Jehu entered the in at the gate, she said, "Had Zimri peace? Who slew his master?" Now that's quite a slur. Um, her, she's really being sarcastic here. Uh, she she's trying to shame Jehu by asking if he came in peace. <laughs> Obviously, he had not. Uh, Zimri, uh, of course, uh, if you may recall, back in 1 Kings 16, had rebelled against his master, and he himself died only seven days later by the uh, influence of Omri, the founder of Ahab's dynasty. So she's sort of implying that Jehu's rebellion will also destroy him, just as Zimri's had. But um, uh, anyway, for, uh, uh, for what it's worth. Uh, verse 32, He lifted up his face to the window and said, Who is on my side? Who? And there looked out to him two or three eunuchs. And he said, throw her down. So they threw her down, and some of her blood was sprinkled on the wall and on the horses, and he trod her underfoot. 
Now, get, get, I want you to get, you put yourself in jail. He, 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 he's taken his horse. He's trampled her, so she's a mess. She's de- and when he was come in, he did eat and drink and said, let's go now and see this cursed woman and bury her, for she's the king's daughter. So after he trampled her with his horse, he went in for a quick meal. Got his appetite up, you know. And said, go see this cursed woman and bury her, for she's a king's daughter. Now, as he says that, he's obviously forgetting uh, the prophecies that... Um, uh, Elijah had said about Jezebel's fate. There's not going to be anything to bury. Because they go out to bury her and they found no more of her than a skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. Why? Because the dogs had gotten to her. And by the time the grave diggers were there, they, the, the dogs had torn her corpse apart, carried off everything but the skull, feet, and hands. And then it all comes back because in uh, the next few verses, he says, Wherefore they came again and told him. He said, this is the word of the Lord, which he spake by a servant Elijah the Tishbite, saying, In the portion of Jezreel shall dogs eat the flesh of Jezebel, and the carcass of Jezebel shall be as the dung upon the face of the field and the portion of Jezreel, so they shall not say, This is Jezebel. Okay, getting warmed up here? Let's get another chapter here. Let's knock it off. Ahab had 70 sons in Samaria, and I don't understand those as being direct sons. They're heirs, they're descendants. As the, the term really means descendants, so... You know, these, these could be sons and grandsons and whatever, they're descendants, okay? And, uh, and Jehu, of course, is planning to execute every relative that could possibly succeed Ahab. And so he's going to write letters to all the, uh, the, uh, leaders. He says, now, he says, uh, uh, and Jehu wrote letters and sent to Samaria unto the rulers of Jezreel, to the elders and to them that brought up Ahab's children, saying, now, as soon as this letter cometh to you, seeing your master's sons are with you, and they are with you, uh, they are with you with chariots, horses, and a fenced city, and also armor, look even out the best and meetest of your master's sons, and set him on his father's throne, and fight for your master's house. So Jehu, in a sense, is throwing down the gauntlet here, okay? And so they have a choice, you see, okay, what they can do is they can try to pick a champion. This is very popular. You mean the David and Goliath kind of thing. You pick your champion, I'll pick mine. You got your king, I'll take my king. We'll, we'll, the two kings will fight and decide the, decide the day, if you will. So he's challenging to have a new king to fight with him. And so, uh, but uh, we get to verse 4, they were exceedingly afraid. They didn't think this was too good an idea. They knew about this guy, Jehu. <laughs> they were exceedingly afraid and said, Behold, two kings stood not before him. How shall we stand? So he's already killed two kings. So what are we going to do? Get, you know, this is, this, they're, they're nervous, <laughs> which is probably what Jehu was hoping on. And he that was over the house, and he that was over the city, and the elders also, and the bringers up of the children, sent to Jehu, saying, We are thy servants, and will do all that thou shalt bid us. We will not make any, we will not make any king. Do thou that which is good in thine eyes. Okay, so Jehu writes another letter. Then he wrote a letter a second time to them, saying, If ye be mine, and if ye will hearken unto my voice, take ye the heads of the men, your master's sons, and come to me to Jezreel by tomorrow this time. And now the king's sons, being seventy persons, were with great men of the city, which brought them up. And it came to pass, when the letter came to them, that they took the king's sons and slew seventy persons and put their heads in baskets and sent him, sent him them to Jezreel. And there came a messenger and told him, saying, They have brought the heads of the king's sons. He said, Lay them in two heaps at the entering in of the gate until the morning. Now there's overnight, they're going to let these two piles of heads sit by the city gate. So everybody will get the message. 
It came to pass in the morning that he went out and he stood and said to all the people, Ye be righteous, behold, I conspired against my master and slew him. See, the first thing he does, he takes personal responsibility for having killed their king. But now he he does some dissembling here. He says, but who slew all these guys? He's pretending, see, he had nothing to do with the 70 descendants that have been killed. (laughs) He goes on, he says, Know now that there shall fall unto the earth nothing of the word of the Lord which the Lord spake concerning the house of Ahab, for the Lord hath done that which he spake by his servant Elijah. So Jehu slew all that remained of the house of Ahab in Israel and all his great men and his kinfolks and his priests until he left him none remaining. And he rose and departed and came to Samaria in the way. And Jehu met the brethren of Ahaziah, the king of Judah, and said, Who are ye? And they answered, We are the brethren of Ahaziah. And we go down to salute the children of the king and the children of the queen. So they don't know what's going on. These are from the southern kingdom there to acknowledge the, their, you know, the, the, the family of the northern kingdom. And he, as Jehu said, take them alive. And they took them alive and slew them at the pit of the shearing house, even two and forty men. Neither lefty any of them. So this guy is uh, getting carried away here. Um, so back in verse 6, he, he gave orders. They effectively executed Ahab 70 uh, heirs. He's taking care of the southern kingdom too. So he's, he's, he's getting quite a reputation here. Um, you see, Jehu wiped out Ahab's heirs in Samaria and Jezreel, and God approved that. But he also executed all of Ahab's chief men, close friends, and priests, and God did not approve that. He got carried away and killed too many innocent people. And these innocent people could have helped him become a more effective king than he proved to be. He's going to miss the leadership and the structure that he unnecessarily uh, wiped out. So uh, now we, we obviously wiped out 42 people of the southern kingdom who obviously had not heard of the goings on up north and, he, and were victimized by that. So, But he regarded them, you see, as part of the house of Ahab, so he executed them near a well, leaving no survivor. And not all 42 of these were necessarily blood relatives of Ahab, they may, but they may have been related by marriage. But that difference would not have bothered Jehu at all. <laughs> and uh, Okay, verse 15. And when he was departed thence, he lighted on... Uh, Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, coming to meet him. And he saluted him and said to him, Is thine heart right, as my heart is with thy heart? And Jehonadab answered and said, It is. If it be, give me thine hand. And he gave him his hand, took him up to him into the chariot. So that's a, a, a gesture of honor. And by the way, this guy is a follower of the Lord, so he's a good guy. And he said, Come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. So they made him ride in his chariot. So this idea of shaking hands, bringing the chariot, means that they're in agreement and, and uh, mutual commitment and so forth. So when he came to Samaria, that's the capital of the northern kingdom, he slew all that remained unto Ahab in Samaria until he had destroyed him, according to the saying of the Lord, which he spake to Elijah. And Jehu gathered all the people together and said to them, Ahab served Baal a little, but Jehu, Jehu, <laughs> Jehu's going to serve him much. They don't understand where his loyalties are. His loyalties are to the, the, the God of Israel. They don't realize he's not a Baal worshiper. 
Jehu gathered all the people together and said, Ahab served Baal a little, but Jehu will serve him much. Serve him like, like maybe for dinner. <laughs> uh, anyway. Now therefore call unto me all the prophets of Baal, all his servants, all his priests, and let none be wanting. For I have a great sacrifice to do to Baal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whosoever shall be wanting, he shall not live. In other words, if you don't show up, you're, you know, you're, this is an obligatory service we're putting together here. But Jehu did it subtly to the intent that he might destroy the worship of Baal. And uh, so he's, he's, he's really cooking this up. He's requiring everyone to attend all the... It's going to be in the central temple of Baal and, and so forth. And uh, Jehu said, Proclaim a solemn assembly for Baal. And they proclaimed it. Jehu sent through all Israel, that is all the northern kingdom, and all the worshippers of Baal came, so there was not a man left that came not. I suppose not. This is you know death penalty if you don't show up, in other words. And they came into the house of Baal. And the house of Baal was full from one end to another. Then he, this Jehu, said to him that was over the vestry, Bring forth the vestments for all the worshippers of Baal. <laughs> and he brought them forth vestments. And Jehu went, and Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, into the house of Baal, and said unto the worshippers of Baal, Search and look that there be here with you none of the servants of the Lord, but the worship, worshippers of Baal only. See, guys, this is going to be an exclusive group. Don't let any of those, you know, Jehovah worshippers in here. This is Baal only. Right, guys? Right. You know. And when they went in to offer sacrifices and burnt offerings, Jehu appointed fourscore men without and said, If any of the men whom I have brought into your hands escape, he that letteth him go, his life shall be for the life of him. In other words, you let anyone escape and you, you, you lost yours. So that's an incentive program. You know, Jehu knew how to motivate people. And it came to pass as soon as he had made an end of the offering, a burnt offering, which of course is for show, that Jehu said to the guard and to the captains, go in and slay them. Let none come forth. And they smote them with the edge of the sword and the guard and the captains cast them out and went to the city of the house of Baal. And they brought forth the images out of the house of Baal and burned them. And they break down the image of Baal and break down the house of Baal and made it a draft house unto this day. Thus Jehu destroyed Baal out of Israel. So he was God's instrument of judgment. And uh, But uh, howbeit from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, Jehu departed not from after them, to wit, the golden calves were in Bethel that were in Dan. So Jehu, with all his zeal, still didn't go far enough. He didn't deal with the golden calves at Bethel and Don. And so that was a big mistake. Big mistake. And he's going to turn out to be... Uh, the, uh, the, uh, so this, this massacre by Jehu really finishes what Elijah had begun at Mount Carmel, if you may recall. But Jehu still didn't completely obey the Lord, and the, the, the text seems to emphasize that. The Lord said unto Jehu, listen to this, Because thou hast done well in executing that which is right in, the, in mine eyes, and hast done unto the house of Ahab according to all that was in mine heart, thy children of the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. That's good news. In other words, Jehu is going to start a dynasty that will go four generations. That's not bad. But, ooh, there's a... The word but in a performance review is a very disturbing word. But Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the God of Israel with all his heart. God wants people, wants us, you and I. He wants all of our heart. He doesn't want to be number one on a list of ten. He wants to be number one on a list of one. 
Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord God with all his heart, for he departed not from the sins of Jeroboam, which made Israel a sin. So more trouble comes. In those days, the Lord began to cut Israel short. And Hazael, that's the Syrian, if you recall, smote them in all the coasts of Israel, from Jordan eastward, all the land of Gilead, and the Gadites, the Reubenites, and the Manassites, from Aror, to, which is by the river Arnon, even Gilead and Bashan. Now the rest of the acts of Jehu and all that he did, all his might, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? And uh, so it's, 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 it's really tragic that Jehu's rule was, was characterized by turmoil and unrest. He was not a strong ruler. He was a strong leader in a military sense, but he was not a strong ruler. All kinds of social and economic uh, abuses marked his administration. And that's why all these foreign groups are succeeding against them. And uh, so, uh, and when Hezael attacks, you see Assyria had forced Jehu to bow before him and pay tribute. And by the way, there's a bas relief in Shalmaneser's uh, so-called black obelisk, archaeologically speaking, shows uh, Jehu doing this. It's the only picture we have of an Israelite king that's been found so far, by the way. But uh, Jehu slept with his fathers, and they buried him in Samaria. And Jehu has the son reigned in his stead. And the time that Jehu reigned over Israel in Samaria was 28 years. And uh, one of the things that weakened his rule was that he didn't have the advantage of these seasoned officials, which he slew unnecessarily, uh, back there in uh, verse 11, chapter 10. And uh, his ruthlessness also made all kinds of people, even his allies, suspicious of him. And the, the alliance that they had between Judah and Israel is also torn, of course, because when Jehu killed Judah's king, Ahaziah. And Israel's treaty with Phoenicia is also ended when he killed Jeroboam, Jezebel, and the prophets of Baal. So God is starting to reduce the size of Israel uh, during Jehu's reign. And he reigned, uh, in all, he reigned about 28 years, obviously. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Dr. Chuck Musler, teaching through the book of 2 Kings. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.